I'm from rural Pennsylvania, if you're trying to nail down the accent, and I'm also fighting a cold right now, but whatever. Uh, but I went to grad school in Memphis, Tennessee. It was quite a culture shock uh, for a number of reasons, including language. There's a word the folks from my neck of the woods say, yins, Y-I-N-Z. <laughs> Etymology is hard to nail down, um, but I think think it comes from use guys, which is also incredibly wrong. Um, but basically, it's meant to mean you all. In the South, uh, they have a word for this, y'all. And it makes sense. It's a contraction. I never really said yins, um, but I was especially aware of the way I spoke being a strange man in the strange land with an arguably strange voice. And when I taught, my students would call me, uh, they'd call me a Yankee, and not in a positive way. When I used words like jagger to mean thorny or uh, left out, uh, be verbs, and said things like this needs done instead of needs to be done, I would just get looks from my peers. Eventually, I moved a lot of my regional lexicon somewhere else, just removed it, um, and just became boring. When I moved back to Northish, DC is Northish compared to Tennessee, I retained y'all because it's just fun, it makes sense, and it isn't gendered. But I also started using my some of my Pennsylvania words again, um, out of a point of pride to show that I'm proud of where I'm from. And if this means getting strange looks when I say I'm going downtown or call someone out for being nebby, nosy, so be it. Everyone has a science story, even, or maybe especially, scientists. Science affects each and every one of us. Let's talk about it. From the American Geophysical Union, I'm Shane Hanlon, and this is Sci Intel. Episode 2, look at this. Uh, today, we have an interview from our annual meeting back in 2018, about a year ago now, from one of our Voices for Science advocates. And uh, Voices for Science is an initiative spearheaded by my program here at HEU, uh, Sharing Science, where we bring in scientists to provide training and support to build up their science communication, policy, and outreach skills. And the other voice you'll hear is our interviewer, Greg Roth. My guest in this conversation is Raphael Lariru. That's, 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 that's perfect. Close yeah, that, that's close as I've gotten I, it so far. Yeah. <laughs> Assistant Professor of Botany at Winston State Salem, Winston Salem State University. Thank you for having me, and this is a great opportunity to not just share my science, but also talk about the things I have been doing with AGU of Us Voices for Science, uh, which has been a tremendous thing that has happened in my life, and I believe in the life of everyone that has been involved in it. I like to say that um, I'm a space botanist to mm -hmm. just break the ice. But usually people will ask me first, what, what's a botanist? <laughs> I'll say, well, I'll work with plants and, and I use mostly climatic data and soil data provided by these wonderful AGU scientists to create plant hybrids to be able to uh, assess regions with these plants that they would not normally grow either being here on Earth for food security or out in space for maybe growing crops on Mars. So that's mostly. 
in, in general terms what I do by science. I moved here in 2014. Talk to me about the transition from South America to North America. It, I mean, it was interesting. Um, uh, I got my PhD there, and my plans were not to come to the US. I wanted to stay there. But um, I uh, met my wife, and she's an American. And mm -hmm. the uh, transition from here to, from there to here was just like a natural transition. Um, because she wanted to be here, and um, I was like, okay, let, let's go. Let, let's go to the US. And I must say that it was initially very difficult uh, to, for you to transition from a country that you, I considered myself to be okay in terms of being established professionally. Mm -hmm. I had a, a job and everything was fine after my PhD. And coming to the US, I didn't have anything. I was completely alone in terms of didn't have any connections or anything that could help me out in terms of getting a job. And most schools that you apply to being a foreigner, uh, and I completely understand why they do it, they have, I would say, some sort of, some sort of a step back and take a look at who you are, why, why you're here, and why you're trying to apply. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, all the paperwork problem that you have to go through in terms sure. of getting your work permits and, and everything else. Yeah. So all this weighs on you being hired not by a school or by a research institute if you're coming just just by being here in terms of, I didn't come here with a, a guarantee position. And it took a lot of emailing, insisting, showing my ideas, pushing my ideas, sharing my ideas with people that I thought that I could work with. And all of a sudden someone came to me and said, okay, I think that you have a good idea, come work with it for us. And that was the foot that I needed inside of the door, just a little bit to be inside to work really hard to get what I am now. Uh, and I still want more, and I think that I can do more, but what I am at, am at now is just tremendous. I am at an institution that I want, uh, wanted to be at. I am at Winston-Salem State, it's an HBCU institution, and I wanted to be there to reach out to students, HBCU students, who couldn't possibly fathom the idea to work with space-related stuff. And I wanted to be there to show to them that, yes, we, you can do this, and here's a way that you may be, uh, be able to get into this, this field. And I have a tremendous amount of students that are very interested about it. So. Tell me about the first class that you taught here in the States. Here in the States, um, I taught... Is it terrifying? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I think that... Um, People say that I don't have a very thick accent, and s some students actually uh, were like making bats trying to find out where I was from yeah. initially. And I had to show them my green card and prove them that I was from Brazil because they didn't believe me. They thought it was from Canada or something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why. Um, but it was intimidating because you're in a country that um, the whole educational system is different from yours. You come from a completely different background. You're, different, you're dealing with uh, different people. And, but at the same time, students are students, people are people. And I think that, I think in a way, 
I tried to not translate what I was taught to do back then, learning how to be a professor, learning how to be a biology educator back home. I tried to just pass on content in the best way that I could and try to relate this with the students in the best way that I could. And I think that that is good professorship. I think that when you get to know your students and get to know your needs, as we were talking about getting to know the people and getting to know their needs, I think that is what you need to do to not feel intimidated by a class or a number of students or something like that. I think that getting to know the students as much as you can on a personal level, it's important for you to succeed as a professor. I got to pop in here and say that up top, I mentioned that Raphael is part of our Voices for Science initiative. Uh, Greg will mention Voices of Science, uh, which we did contemplate as a name too. I would think that approach would carry over somewhat well, at least, to the Voices of Science program where you then need to talk to non-scientists about what they would probably view as highly conceptual type stuff and sometimes too academic, too iterative for their own policy-making leadership minds, right? So talk about a little bit about um, the influence of the program and how that is uh, your experience in the Voices of Science program and how that's shaped how you communicate with I think both your students and with uh, um, non-scientists. I think it's important to first say why I joined and why I wanted to join. I think that, at least my view of science, science should be about service and you should serve people through your science. I think that either, uh, in my case, making plant hybrids for food security or to even serving people on giving them the answers that they know about uh, maybe the uh, fundamentals of human uh, 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 curiosity in terms of wh where are we going, what are we doing here, and uh, where did we come from. This is about service. This is science. So I joined in a way that I wanted to kind of pass out this message, especially to policymakers. Voices for Science is divided into two tracks, SciComm and, and policymaking. Um, and I joined the, the, the policy, uh, science policy track in order to kind of transmit this uh, idea that science is about service. And if you don't know your science, you can service uh, people in the way that you be, should be serving them. And this directly applies to policymakers. What has been the most difficult part for you personally? Um, to learn or to do or a habit to break? I think um, I'm, uh, I'm an introvert person. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that the program pushed me. And I think that this is pretty normal in the scientific field. We're a bunch of introverts. Sure, yeah, there's one or two of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, I think that the program pushed me to know how to reach out, know how to connect to people on the personal level and not just talk to them as colleagues, talk to them as possible friends and make associations and make like long-lasting friendships with not only my colleagues in the field, but with people out there that can give me tons of information that I could have never imagined getting. So. How have you changed your approach as a result of the program? I think that getting to know people, mm -hmm. opening myself to them and allowing them to open themselves to me. 
I think that that is important and influence my view on science in terms of if science is about service, I, I need to know who I'm serving. And I need to know who are these people and what they're suffering and why they suffer and how can I make this better. And um, especially when I deal with small farmers or people who are losing their homes and people who are losing part of their history due to, for instance, climate change because they need to lose their farm because what was growing there before is not growing anymore. Um, this was a way that I used to kind of get in contact in, to a deeper personal level and understand what they're going through and, 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 um, and push myself to be more open to, to, to hear their stories and see how I could use my science to help them out. Raphael really hits it on the nose here. Being from rural PA, I know people who have lost their mining jobs or farmers who have had to shift what they grow and when they grow it because of climate change. They don't want to hear from me as a scientist coming in telling them what's best. They want to they want someone to listen to them like a human being. Communication it's a two-way thing and thanks to Raphael for reminding us of that. Thanks also to Greg Roth for conducting the interview. And if you've liked what you've heard, uh, go back and check out our first episode with uh, NASA's Jim Green. And stay tuned for more episodes tucked in amongst your regular third pod episodes. From the scientists in the studio to all of you out there in the world, thanks for listening to our stories. (laughs) 